0: Right. Good morning everybody. Good morning, good morning everybody. Good morning. good morning everybody. I feel like I'm in a stadium with this distance thing. Everybody out of camera range. And a very good morning to all of you folks. And uh, all the different states and as well as the who have been joining us and watching and listening over these past, what, five months or so? Love you all. Thank you for joining us again. And for those who will be watching us later this week. As is our custom, of course, according to the Voice of the Martyrs Prayer Guide, the folks that I want to bring to your attention in particular this week, our brothers and sisters around the world, folks I bring to your attention today and this week, are believers who are in Jordan the ancient nation of Jordan in the Holy Land or what is certainly a ancient province of the ancient Holy Land according to the voice of the martyrs Jordan is restricted Jordan has experienced an influx of refugees from neighboring countries over the past 70 years with nearly half the current population composed of refugees. Syrians in particular began arriving in very large numbers during their civil war, which of course began in 2011. The majority of Christian activity amongst Jordanian Christians in recent years has been focused on bringing the gospel to and serving these refugees. Having seen God work so powerfully amongst Arab Muslim refugees, the Jordanian Christians are as never before to reach out with the gospel to their Muslim neighbors. Most Jordanians do practice the Sunni branch of Islam. Christian converts from Islam are persecuted sometimes violently, unfortunately by their families and extended clans. Those born into Christian families are allowed to worship openly and they are not required to wear the traditional Muslim clothing. However, evangelism and conversions are met sometimes with retaliation by Muslim neighbors friends and family members. Christian converts from Islam face the greatest problems of all. They struggle to keep their jobs, sometimes their children are even taken away. Tribal authorities often discipline those considered guilty of religious infractions. Jordanian Christians are constantly aware that the government could be monitoring their activities through technology or spies and informants. When Christians are imprisoned in Jordan for Apostasy, that is the Muslim version of apostasy, it is rarely made known to the public. The good news, a variety of Bibles are available through Bible societies and bookstores in Jordan. Voice of the Martyrs helps respond to the needs of Christian refugees. Voice of the Martyrs also provides training for evangelical pastors there in Jordan. So please lift up these folks in Jordan this uh, today and in your prayers and onwards. Um, There's a lot of good things happening in Jordan, in spite of the fact that it is somewhat a Muslim country and a restricted country. Lots of these refugees are turning away from Islam and turning to Christianity. They're tired of the old ways. They're tired of the violence. They're tired of the darkness. And they're turning to Christ in very, very large numbers, in particular the Syrians. So please do pray for these folks. A passage this morning before communion... The Lord's Table Sunday, as is our custom, the first of the month. Hope you folks have been preparing yourselves for coming to the Lord's Table this week. We will, of course, observe communion immediately after the message this morning. The text this morning is 2 John verses 4 to 6, a passage which is all about walking in the truth, being faithful to the original command of Christ, the love command, but yes, the command to walk in the truth of he who is truth, the personification of truth, and the source of all truth. But before we familiarize ourselves by reading through these two short verses, and there's a great deal of truth packed into those two short verses, let's take these brothers and sisters from our prayer guide in Jordan. Let's take them before our sovereign God in prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful rain, giving life to the earth, the crops, the animals, and to we ourselves. Thank you for the mild temperatures that we've had lately. I thank you for these folks who have gathered here in person to worship you and to hear you by the way of your spirit speak to them out of your eternal word. I pray for all of those folks in numerous states as well as our own in our community who are joining us this morning and who will be watching later today, this evening, and throughout the week. Uh, we're very grateful that so many have been joining us, and we pray that you will place your spirit with and upon these folks open all of our hearts and minds to receive the truth of your word and to translate the truth of your word into action in our life by as the Apostle John tells us over the centuries by walking in the truth living our lives in your truth you who are truth and help this passage as well to embolden everyone here and everyone listening to stand in the truth and to defend the truth for the age-old cosmic battle over the truth is heating up in our country and our culture like never before. And help us to be faithful to do our duty in that battle on our watch and our sphere of influence wherever we may be. I pray for our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus who are in Jordan. Uh, Give them more religious freedom by way of their government. Protect what religious freedom they have of sovereign God. We are pleased to hear that the word of God may be distributed to these folks and may be readily available to them. Help us by the resources that we have in our church to help our brothers and sisters in Jordan in any way that we can. To be dutiful and watchful and be aware of them, their situations and circumstances, what we need and how they need and how we may meet those needs. Help us to follow in their footsteps. They've been a wonderful example these past number of years, in particular since the Civil War, to brothers and sisters in Jesus all over the world. Help us to follow in their example, follow in their footsteps, and have the courage to do so. Please bless the reading of your word. Please bless our time at your table, the table of the Lord Jesus, to commemorate what he did for us two millennia ago, and what he will do for us at your table in the Father's house in eternity when the Messiah returns and consummates his kingdom once and for all. Hear our feeble cries, Lord God. Help us to be obedient to your word. Forgive us of our sins, our faults, and our failures. Help us in this very, very difficult time to know what to do when opportunity arises. Please hear our prayers on behalf of our very troubled country and a very troubled world. But we take hope and rest in that you are sovereign and that you are in control and that your purpose and plan over in and through your creation will not fail and cannot be thwarted. And we look forward to the world to come where all of this trouble and all of this darkness is a thing of the past forever. The world will be perfect, renovated, remade, restored to its original state, and better yet. And that all the saints in eternal glory can bask in the presence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with no barriers in between at all, anymore and forevermore. Or as John would say in his quaint koine Greek, in ages beyond all ages and beyond all ages. And may the meditations of all of our hearts May the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. You who are one and only hope, and you who are hope enough for all and everyone. More than hope enough. In Christ Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. I'm so used to doing this for some months on film with so few people in the room that when we opened up and started together in person, I neglected to have everyone stand for the reading of the Word of the Lord. We're going to return to that. Would you please stand for the reading of the Word of the Lord? Forgive me for that. John's second letter to the churches, verses 4 to 6. A short passage as we're heading into the body of the letter, in which you could entitle, Walking in the Truth. He does mention the original love command of Jesus, but he's hammering home the command the exhortation, the invitation, walk in the truth. Verses 4-6 to I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we have received command to do so from the Father. And now I ask you, Lady, beloved Lady, dear Lady, not as I'm writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another, And this is love, that we walk according to His commands. This is that commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginning, that you should walk in it. These are the words of the Lord by way of the Apostle John. Thanks be to God for them. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. So John's second letter is a very important message of both exhortation and warning. It is something, as I mentioned Last week a, uh, or so, a follow up to an appreciable degree to his, to his first letter, written probably not long after he wrote the first letter. And in this particular passage, verses four to six, as we're starting to move towards the heart of the letter or the body of the letter, John's quite exuberant, isn't he? Uh, you don't quite get as exuberance sometimes in English translations as you do in the original Koine Greek in which the letter is written. He is joyful. He is very glad. He is exuberant in his joy and in his gratitude. To hear, to know, the many members of this church that he is writing to. Remember, uh, originally we believe this chosen lady is a church, a specific church, in the province of Asia or Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. John is writing from Ephesus, one of the principal cities in that region from the Roman Empire at that time, but of course, as this is sacred, sacred scripture, John very well knows, he's under the inspiration of the Spirit, and he knows that this letter is going to be copied and it's going to be circulated, it's going to be distributed. And as it is sacred scripture by uh, association and relationship, this is for all believers in any age and every age the world over. But in particular, let's go back to the first century AD when he's first writing this letter, he is overjoyed. He is delighted, he is most gratified to hear that the members of this church, the children in code of this chosen lady, he's delighted to hear that the people that he's writing to, they're faithful. They are living their lives by walking in the truth, living their daily life, their daily walk, as we would say, by abiding, persevering steadfastly in the truth of he who is the truth and beginning so he's beginning creeping towards the main body of the letter on a very very positive note and he continues to encourage these folks while expressing his joy at this so John wishes for he and his readers as he states to continue expressing or demonstrating or manifesting or working out or putting to work however which way you choose to express it exercising agape love towards one another The same relationship that they have shared up to this time and that he trusts that they share now and that they will continue to share. As Peter would say, in their lifelong pilgrimage through this world on their way to their lasting and eternal home. And he is encouraging everyone that he's writing to to persevere living their lives again in the truth. Now many believe John is getting you ready. He is bracing you for Um, He's bracing his readers for some of the stern warnings that he's going to issue to us in the main body of the letter, which appears in verses 7 to 11. So verse 4, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we have received command or commandment, command or commandment, from the Father, from the Father to do so. So first phrase that let's, let's unpack. It has given me joy to find some of your children walking in truth or walking in the truth. Uh, You could just as uh, well translate this as, I was very glad. I was overjoyed. It has given me great joy to hear, to find that some of your children are walking in the truth. So John is rejoicing due to the good news coming his way about this church that he is writing to, and the members which make up that church, his chosen lady and her children, these believers he's writing to. This is a very deep, sincere, satisfying joy that our elder brother the Apostle is experiencing. Very, very happy tone to work our way into the main body of the letter. He has sincere, satisfying joy to hear of the well-being of his fellow believers. So this is the first life application for the day. Do we have this? Do we do this? John is very, very concerned. He is deeply concerned about the welfare of his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, people that he knows, people that he is aware of, people who are probably in his sphere of influence or on the edge of his sphere of influence. How's that coming along with us? Do we do the same thing? We should. Follow the Apostle's model. Follow the Apostle's character. Follow the Apostle's exercising or working out of agape love. How are we all about the well-being of believers in this world that we are aware of? And we perhaps even have a greater responsibility than the Apostle John did. Because the Apostle John, in the first century AD, he did not have that. He did not have this. He did not have that. He didn't have radio. He didn't have the internet. He didn't have television. There were a lot of believers that John probably were not aware about, although he was deeply concerned, of course, about all believers in the world, and served them by writing sacred scripture, by praying over them, by traveling, by working as hard as he possibly could. People in his sphere of influence, people outside of the physical sphere of his influence. How is that with us? We are to be very concerned about the ultimate spiritual welfare and well-being of those, of course, who are in our physical sphere of influence, but also concerned about those who are not. And we do have the means and we do have the resources to reach them and to help them. We have a duty and a responsibility like never before because we can find out what is going on with brothers and sisters all over this world. And there are ministries and organizations that we can help, that we can assist, that we can give resources to who will help these people and their needs and their wants and their dangers and their concerns and so forth. So, That's the first life application command from the Apostle John in a sort of a bleak way. How is our concern coming along with our brothers and sisters in Christ? And do we take great and profound joy when we hear of their well-being? And what do we do when we hear that they're in trouble? Let's translate those words into action in our life. It's a top priority for John. Now when John says to find, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth. Well, actually in the Greek I'm going to throw some grammar at you. It's written in the perfect tense. We've had that a lot in John's first letter and that's important because you could just as well, perhaps more accurately translate it as, I have found this information has come his way in the past, in the not-too-distant past. But when something is written in the present tense, In the original Greek, it means something that has happened in the past, which has very important ramifications for the present and, yes, for the future. That's what that means by being written in the present tense. I have found this out in the past, that you have been walking in the truth. And so I expect that you are still walking in the truth now, and I trust that you will always continue to walk in the truth your life long until you step into eternity. That's what he's saying. I'm overjoyed to find that you have been walking in the truth. I trust that you are still walking in the truth now, and I trust and encourage you to always walk in the truth for the rest of your life. He expects that we will always continue to walk in the truth. Now, to walk in the truth, what does he mean by that? That's a bit of an idiomatic expression, a figure of speech. It's what you and I in 2020 we call our daily walk, our daily life walk, our lifestyle, the way we live our life on a daily basis. Your everyday conduct, your every way, your everyday way of thinking, your everyday behavior, your practical daily life. And that must be living it all in the truth. Here's the truth. Live your life in the truth. Translating the words, Of He who is truth into action in your life on a daily basis, all the day and every day. Walking in the Spirit, as the other apostles say, the Spirit is the ultimate author of the Word of God. Live your daily life walk in the truth the truth about God, the truth about Jesus, the truth of God, the truth of Jesus and live your life walking with he who is truth the personification of truth the embodiment of truth and the source of all truth and this is a very very important small passage because what's one of the biggest battles raging today in the world in an American culture and society it is the age-old cosmic battle for truth the battle over the truth and it is really heating up in this world and in America now isn't it and you have those who want to peddle probably one of the most destructive philosophies ever foisted upon humankind a philosophy which flatly denies that there is any such thing as true truth as Francis Schaeffer would say or objective truth that is a very dangerous lie and it is very destructive and these are some of the most dangerous people that there are out there who deny the existence of evil, who deny the existence of good, and who deny the existence of truth. Objective truth. We are people of the truth. We are people who are to live our lives in the truth with he who is truth. We are people who are to walk in the truth, live in the truth, and die for the truth if needs be. And there are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus around the world who are giving their lives for the truth. Probably even as we gather, even as I speak, and that battle is really heating up in America, and it's coming to your door. If it hasn't already, don't think you're not in this fight. Oh, yes, you are. Everybody is. And the battle lines are being starkly drawn in that proverbial sand. And everybody is going to have to step up and get into this fight. Don't think you can run away from it and sit on the fence. You can. It's coming to you. It will. If not now, it will. And we are to fight for the truth, live in the truth, and die for the truth if needs be in our sphere of influence and on our watch. Very important passage. What truth is he talking about? Let me elaborate a little more. The truth of the gospel, the one and only true biblical gospel, which is the good news about the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is God the Son Himself. The truth of the gospel, the person and work of Christ, that these people first heard and first responded to when they first heard the gospel and when they first converted to Christ, when they first received what John calls the born of God life. This is what he means by that that which you heard from the beginning. That's what you were given in the beginning, the beginning of your Christian life, the beginning of your new born of God life. That's what he means. Now, uh, some of your children, some folks kind of stumble over this or scratch their heads over it. Oh, my goodness. He says, some of your children are walking in the truth. Well, does that automatically mean that some of them were not? I think you're maybe splitting hairs there a bit. Um, Don't be alarmed by that. I do not believe that when he says, some of you, I'm delighted to find some of your children walking in the truth. I don't think that necessarily means that some of them were not. Uh, Maybe. We don't really know. He doesn't specify, but due to his very joyful and exuberant language in complimenting these people that he has found that they are walking in the truth and trust that they still are I don't think some implies that some were and some weren't I think John is delighted too that all of these people were probably at the time that he wrote this letter they were faithful to walking in the truth at this time now how did John know about this here's a little bit of church history how did he know about this chosen lady's children well as you can see from the text it doesn't specifically tell us but we know from uh, the New Testament and from the early church fathers and from early church history that these churches as best they could were constantly in contact with one another I think it's absolutely fantastic about these people they didn't have any means of modern communication whatsoever But they were constantly in communication with one another, concerned about one another, and constantly trying to meet one another's needs and help each other out. It means that probably uh, some of the servant leaders of the church were constantly on the road, traveling back and forth between all of these churches, helping them out, giving them news, getting news, and so forth. These people really took an interest and an investment in one another. There's another life application lesson. Do we do the same thing? Who are we in communication with? Who are we constantly trying to get a hold of and stay in contact with and help in some way or another? Or ask for help. Not be too proud to ask for help if we need it. So these folks were constantly in contact with one another. So news of these churches would certainly have come to the Apostle John's way some way or another. By the way, remember from last week, at the time this man writes this letter, he's a uh, kingdom treasure, let's say. He is the last of the living apostles, as far as we know. He is the last of the original 12 apostles of Jesus who is still alive. And he's probably in his 90s. So folks are probably seeking after John as much as they possibly can while they still had him in this life, this side of eternity. The apostle John may have still been in decent enough health to do some traveling himself. We know that he did that while he was in Ephesus. So he very well may have met these people personally and come to know some of these believers personally. This may be first-hand knowledge, as we say. At any road, quite happily, these believers have a very good reputation of living in devotion to the truth of God, the truth of Christ. Here's another life application for you. How's that coming along for us? I mourn the passing of Herman Cain this week. What was it that Herman Cain liked to say every once in a while? How's that coming along for you? Right? How's that coming along for you? How's your reputation of walking in the truth? How's our reputation of walking in the truth? Apply this personally. Apply this to yourself personally. What do people say about me walking in the truth? Living my life in the truth of he who is the truth. Now, you, you yourselves as a couple, as a family, what would people say about me and my wife and my kids and my parents or my brothers and sisters or whoever? Our, our, we as a people, as a family walking in the truth. All right, now apply it to, the, to a church. What would people say, what do people say about we as a church body, as a church family, walking in the truth? They may say good things. They may say bad things. There's a lot of people who don't like the truth. If they don't like the truth and they're angry at you for walking in the truth, praise the Lord, keep up the good work. But for those who are walking in the truth, what would they say about you? Us. We. And our walk in in the truth. By the way, uh, here's some application for you. If the Apostle John was writing a letter about you, if the Apostle John was writing a letter about us, what would he say? Would he be gratified? Would he be overjoyed? Would he just be flat tickled to death? To hear how you're getting along, how we're getting along by walking and living in the truth? Interesting to think about, isn't it? Very interesting to think about. Truth is what corresponds to factual reality. Truth is given to us from He who is absolute and ultimate reality, the sovereign God, Yahweh, as He gave His memorial name to the ancient Jews, Father, Son, and Spirit, to we new covenant people of God. He is truth. He is the source of all truth, as He is absolute and ultimate reality. And anything which is the truth must correspond to Him and to His definition of truth, to truth that He gives us, the reality as given to us by the Creator, Redeemer, God. Now, truth in your life, truth is what you think. Truth is what motivates the way you think, the way you speak, the way you act. It motivates your conduct. It motivates your behavior. It motivates the way that you view life. It is, as we say, your worldview, the way you view this world and everyone and everything in it, the way you view this universe and everything and everyone that is in it. Truth is reality, folks. And there is a war waging over that. Truth informs, truth inspires, truth motivates the way that you live. Yes, this little passage, these two verses, it is very, very important. It will motivate and inspire, pray God it will, the way that you live your life and what your ultimate destiny and destination is going to be. Dr. Danny Akin writes in his commentary, I love this little comment, John is saying that doctrine becomes duty, creed becomes conduct, and we read a creed about the person and work of Christ every Sunday that we take communion. That creed must become conduct in your life. It's not just words that you give some sort of nice warm and fuzzy intellectual assent to. You are to live your life by that creed and by the truth and reality that that creed expresses. Doctrine is important. Some people don't think it's important. That's a disaster. Doctrine is important. It becomes duty. It becomes the way you live your life. The creeds do as well. If they're scriptural ones, creeds become conduct, the way that you live, live your life. Or as the Baptist preacher Vance Habner used to say, What we live is what we believe. What we believe is what we live. Everything else is just religious talk. Next phrase, just as we have received command to do from the Father, just as we receive this command, these original commands, this original commandment, to do from the Father, or let me read it this way, just as we receive this command to keep from the Father, just as we received this command from the Father, that's what John is saying, from the Father Himself. He traces this command given to us by Jesus back to the Father Himself. This command is to walk in the truth. It is a command we have received ultimately from the Father Himself by way of the Son. And the Spirit enables us to obey that command. Remember 1 John 3.23. Let me go back there very quickly. You can go with me if you want to. First John chapter 3, verse 23. And this is His command, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus the Christ, and love, agape, love one another, just as He commanded us, or originally commanded us. John is repeating a very important truth from his first letter. John may very well be saying that the ultimate source of this message, the ultimate source of the truth, this truth command, is from God the Father Himself. We are ultimately accountable to Him. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, He, the Triune God, the three-in-one, Creator, Redeemer God, is truth, the source of all truth. God the Father sent the Son, who represented the Father, and gave us the Father's truth. The Son proclaimed the truth. The Son personified the truth. The Son embodied the truth. And the Spirit sent by the Father and by the Son. A little later, according to the divine plan, the Spirit applies the truth to human beings. This is a Trinitarian work. And here John is tracing it all back ultimately to the Father himself. Verse 5, And now I ask you, lady, this church he's writing to, not as writing to you a new command, but the one which we had from the beginning that we love, agape love, the love that is a gift from God, God Godlike love, that we agape love one another. So John the Elder, as he refers to himself, now makes a request of this chosen lady. Notice it's not a command, it's a request. He has every right to command. And when the Holy Spirit inspires him to write something as an imperative and as a command, he does not hesitate to do so. But it's interesting, there may be something of very personal about this as well. John may be personally even though he is writing on the behalf of his God who inspires him, who fills him with truth to share with fellow believers. It's a request, something of a personal request. I find that interesting. And of course by extension and association it's a request to all believers even though yes he is writing to a specific church at this time. This is sacred scripture for all Christians in every age. But John's request is simple. It's straightforward. It's profound. And even though it's a request, it's not one to be refused, is it? Believers must remain diligent. This is his request. You must remain diligent. You must remain steadfast. You must persist in the mutual agape love for one another. Yes, the word here is, as usual, agape. The love which is a gift of God that God showers upon unworthy sinners to bring us to redemption and to right relationship with Him. Love which I believe a human being cannot have. It is given by God. It is a gift of God. Otherwise, there's no agape in the world. Now, sometimes I wonder about that, but I'm really beginning to believe that agape love is something very unique. It is a love that human beings are given by God as a gift It may be a type of love that we simply cannot manufacture within ourselves. It's the love that he showered on us, and upon our redemption, our new life, we are to reciprocate that love back to him, and we are constantly commanded, as you can see, to shower that love and share that love and demonstrate that love with our Christian siblings, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is agape love that he's speaking of here. And John's logic is this. It's... it's, this is his logical, rational, reasonable conclusion that he's drawing out here. This, Since they are walking in the truth, they have been walking in the truth, they are walking in the truth, and he trusts they will continue to walk in the truth, then therefore John has a right to expect that they are and they will continue to exercise agape love for one another. They both go hand in glove. They both go hand in hand. They both go together. Agape love, walking in the truth. If you've got one, you've got the other. If you don't have one, you very well may not have the other, according to John. Now notice, in this request as he says, he's not creating a new command. He explicitly states that. I'm not writing something new to you. I'm not giving you a new command. I'm not laying on you um, a new obligation. This is one that you've had for some time. This is a command and an obligation that you heard from what? From the very beginning. That's an original command. Truth, God's truth. God's commands remain the same always, regardless of place or person or era, right? He is truth, and this truth finds its source in God himself who is immutable and unchanging. Next phrase, let's unpack. This command, this one or this command, which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. Now there we have this phrase again that we had numerous times in 1 John, that which we had from the beginning, that which we heard from the beginning. It's an oft-used phrase from 1 John, if you remember, and it simply means this. Again, he's referring to the original gospel message that they heard from the beginning of their Christian life, their Christian walk, or I could perhaps describe it this way. The part of the original gospel message all the way back where Jesus himself commands his followers to love one another with agape love. You see, this command itself was given by Jesus himself, and this command itself was embodied in Jesus himself. The words of Jesus I give you from John's gospel. John chapter 13, verse 34, these are the words of Jesus. A new command I give you, that you love one another. And yes, the word there is agape. That you agape love one another, even as I have loved you, so you also should love with agape love one another. You see what John is saying? He's writing towards the close of the first century A.D. On the threshold of the second century AD. With the time that John was writing this letter, Jesus had given that original love command 30, 40 years before. John is saying, I'm just repeating the original command given by Jesus 30 to 40 years before. That was part of the gospel that you heard in the beginning. The beginning of your pardon me. The beginning of your converted life, your Christian life, your Christian walk, that which you had from the beginning. The beginning of the gospel coming to you in your new life. It's a command of Jesus himself. I was there that night before his crucifixion when he began to inaugurate this new covenant. I was sitting right by him when he issued this new command. He himself. A new command I give you that you love one another even as I have loved you. And so you also love with agape love. This gift of agape love that I'm winning for you, that I'm giving for you, that's how you are from this day forward, to love one another. So John's requesting the constant ongoing obedience to Jesus, to Jesus' original command. Those truly born of God are to love with agape love one another, the love which comes from God, which reflects and mirrors His nature in His character in His personality. The love command that, according to the ESV study Bible, I like this little comment that they made in their textual notes, this love command must constantly steer our lives. I like that. This love command must be the rudder which steers your life, Christian believer. I like that. Now, there's another upper room discourse love command. And if you want to go there, follow me back to John 15. Let's go back to John's Gospel, John chapter 15. As I told you numerous times before, the letters of John, there's something of a commentary on his Gospel. So if you want another upper room command to agape, love one another from Jesus Himself, John 15, verses 12 to 17. I'll just read through it briefly. This is my command. That you love, agape love, one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that they should lay down their life for their friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave or servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask of the Father in my name he may give it to you this I command you that you love agape love one another so walking in the truth and the experience of agape love should go hand in hand according to John the absence of one will most likely impair or hinder the other and remember from last week Love and truth, they're what some theologians have called through the years, they're twin props, they're twin supports, they're twin pillars, holding up the front porch of your house. Love and truth, twin pillars, holding up the believer's life, holding up the believer's faith, holding up the believer living out their Christian life according to the apostolic commands. Verse 6, our concluding verse for the day. And this is love that we walk according to His commands. This is the command just as you heard from the beginning. You know what that means? That you should walk in it. Now, this phrase, walk in it, I think is a little interesting. Because what exactly does he mean by walk in it? Is it all the teachings of Jesus? Is it the love command in particular? Or is it the walk in truth command? I frankly think it's the walk in truth command. More on that in a moment. And this is love that we walk according or in obedience to his commands. You see what he's saying there? You want to know what agape love? Here it is. This is what it looks like. This is at the heart of it. This is where it starts. And it goes on to say, you do all sorts of nice things for other people. Is that what it says? You've got your Bibles. What does it say? And this is agape love that we walk in obedience or according to his commands. Now isn't that interesting? He doesn't even mention other people here. Not yet. If you want to know what agape love is, you have to walk according to his commands. You really want to know what agape love is? You really want to experience it? You really want to shed it abroad as Paul would say, amongst or two other people, you first have to start walking in obedience to his commands. Some specifically, but let's start with all of them. Reminds me of that billboard that I saw between Huber Heights and Springfield. On used to be on a billboard on I seventy. Real Christians obey Jesus' teachings. My would John love that billboard? My oh my oh my would he agree with that? This is what real agape love is, and what it looks like, and where it starts. That we live our lives in obedience according to his commands. So after having given the exhortation to persist in mutual agape love and the truth, these twin commands, these twin pillars, walk in the truth, walk in love, walk in love, walk in in the truth. They go hand in hand. Now Elder John, he defines it in a little more detail. He gets a little more specific concerning that love, that you walk according to his commands. So in John's Gospel, if you have questions about John's letter, go to his Gospel. Sometimes, if you have a few letters about it, questions about his gospel, go to his letters. In John's gospel, it's important to remember Jesus himself characterizes his disciples' love for himself in terms of their obedience to his commands. Let me say that again. In John's gospel, Jesus more than once characterizes his disciples', his followers' love for himself in terms of of their obedience to His commands, their adherence to His teachings. I give you the words of Jesus from John fifteen ten. If you keep my commands you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and I abide in His love. There you have it. John 15 verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I command you. In other words, You really are, my friends, if you translate my teachings into action in your life, thereby obeying them. Now, that we walk according to his commands. Important note here. Again, it's written in the present tense in the Greek. So what does that convey? A present and ongoing action. That we walk according to his commands. It indicates a present and ongoing action because of something that happened to you in the past. You were redeemed. You were born again. You received the born of God life sometime in the past. Therefore, you are or should be walking according to His commands in the present, and you are expected to do so in the future. That's what John means. He means we are to walk, we are to live this way, and to continue this, le- this way of life always. Walking in the truth is to be a consistent and permanent way of life. You are to exercise agape love and obey Christ's commands as a consistent and permanent way of life your entire life through. That's what he's saying. You don't get that so much in the English, perhaps, but you do in the Greek. And when he writes, this is the command, the original love command, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Again, that lovely little phrase, you have heard from the beginning. Again, it's a simple reference to the love command given by Jesus himself, along with Jesus' command to obey his teachings. This is how you prove that you love him. This is how you work out your love for Jesus. Honor his teachings. Honor his commands. Translate them into action in your life. This is where it happens. This is what it looks like. This is how it's done. This command... That the original readers heard from the beginning of their Christian life. This command that you and I heard from the beginning of our Christian walk and Christian life. This is receiving and appropriating the original gospel message of Jesus and putting it into work in your life. That's what he's saying. That you should walk in it. Notice the last phrase of verse 6. command that you heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. Now, kina in aute in the Greek. But the question here is, if you want to get a little more specific, <laughs> what's it? What does he mean by it? The question here is, what does it refer to? All the commands of Jesus? The love command of Jesus? Or the walking in truth command of Jesus? Well, I happen to hang my hat with a growing number of theologians who argue for truth, the original truth command. John is returning you to the original command that he gave you in verse 4 of walking in the truth. Why is that? It's because the major theme of this second letter is walking in the truth of and about Jesus. We must walk, remember, in love and in truth. If you really want to love, you must have truth. True agape love must always adhere to the truth, be motivated by the truth, be in the truth of He who is the truth. Let me throw a fancy theological term at you, or somewhat of a fancy literary seminary term at you. This is an inclusio. You know what an inclusio is? An inclusio is a literary device in which a biblical writer... By the way, you have inclusios all through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. They love to use this. It's an ancient literary device. And John does it here. Verse 4, he says what? Walk in the truth. I'm delighted to hear you're walking in the truth. And verse 6, I believe walk in it means walking in the truth. An inclusio is when they mention a truth or a command at the beginning of the passage, and they sort of flesh that out for a few paragraphs or verses, and then they repeat the original command. That's what John's doing here let me read it to you this way I was overjoyed to find some of your children living their lives by walking in the truth of he who is truth just as we receive that commandment to do so from the Father himself. And now I am asking you, my dear lady, not as if I'm writing you a new commandment, but I am encouraging you to obey the original command which we had from the very beginning of the gospel, the teachings of Jesus, the beginning of our born-of-God life, and that command given by Jesus that we agape love one another. And this is agape love in action, that we walk according to the truth, live our lives according to His commands. This is that commandment just as you heard it from the beginning, that you should walk in the truth. Pardon the paraphrase, but I believe from the original Greek, that's what John is saying. He begins verse 4 with walking in the truth and concludes verse 6 with walking in the truth. It serves as a type of parentheses, a type of brackets, a type of bookends, if you will to this passage often done in the Bible. Dr. Akin from his commentary writes, Hence the idea of it referring to the command to walk in the truth. This prepares us for the heart of the letter, verses 7 and 11, which comprise warnings to remain in the truth and reject all falsehood and those who peddle falsehood. It's allowing John to conclude this section by returning it to the idea of walking or living your life in the truth. To walk in it may be a reference to walking in truth and love. That is possible as well. But I do believe John is specifically repeating his command, his encouragement, his exhortation to walk in the truth. I believe that's the best interpretation for the ending of verse 6. So to really exercise agape love for Christ and His people, you have to walk in the truth. You have to obey His commands and appropriate those commands and teachings into action in your life. The truth of and about He who is the truth. He who is the source of all truth. And so let me give you an inclusio to this message. A comment that I made at the beginning. And I'll repeat it at the end. Live your life in the truth. The truth is that which corresponds to actual factual reality. True truth, according to Francis Schaeffer. And the divine sovereign God, the Redeemer, Creator God, He is absolute and ultimate reality. He is the source of truth. He and He only. And when Jesus Christ, God the Son, arrived in his first advent according to divine plan and fiat 2,000 years ago, he was the very personification and embodiment of truth. John recorded him saying in, in his gospel, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to Father God who is absolute and ultimate reality but through me by way of me this is the age-old cosmic battle for truth it began shortly after the fall of our original apparent parents after the dawn of creation and it has been raging ever since and it will always rage until the king returns in his second advent and we're all in this fight If you truly are a recipient of the born-of-God life, whether you like it or not, you're in this fight. Step up, Christian soldier, be joyful, and get in this fight. Walk in the truth, live your life in the truth, motivated and inspired by the truth of he who is truth, the source of all truth, and give people who are wandering around in hopeless, self-destructive darkness the light of the truth. And that battle again is really heating up in America. And who knows where it may take us. We are to be people who live our lives in the truth, for the truth, and die for the truth, if needs be. And don't be afraid of that, because truth never dies. Truth is not an it, truth is a he. He is truth. He is eternal. He never dies. His truth never dies. Therefore, those who are in Him, who walk in the truth and possess the born of God life, never die. Let's remember that as we come to the Lord's table and celebrate the sacrifice of He who is truth. And as you're taking that little cup, that little piece of bread, remember that table that we speak of, the Lord's table, it doesn't just point to something that took place 2,000 years in the past. Oh, it starts there. But it also points to Revelation chapter 19, which I believe is where Psalm 23 ends as something of a prophecy. The table in the Father's house, the great wedding banquet of all the redeemed people of God from all the ages, In the party that knows no end. When only truth, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, truly exists, only and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Sovereign or God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for those who have joined us by way of the filming, the recording this morning. We trust that this eternal truth they will apply to their lives and that they will walk in the truth. Bless them with uh, whatever circumstances, situations, or trials or troubles that they are facing. Draw them to you by way of your word and your spirit, and may your perfect will be done over their life as well as our own. And thank you for this opportunity to commemorate the great sacrifice of God the Son, Jesus our Lord, this morning. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. To prepare for communion here, and just